0: Meditation. Meditation.
1: Meditation. meditation. Depending, Depending
0: on thinking. the quality thinking. of You know, there's thinking. good days and thinking. bad days. I mean, it feel mean, I mean, I mean, well. I mean, like the
2: waterfall I mean. of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm <sighs> um,
0: um... I can't think of anything.
2: This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York
1: Podcast.
2: Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City Podcast. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Taking Our Posture and Tasting Our Heart. A simple approach to confusion and challenge is to take a good posture and feel our soft spot. This talk, practice, and discussion will explore the power of synchronizing body and heart and the power of not doing so. Today we are joined by John Rockwell. John Rockwell has been on the path of Dharma for 45 years. He met Chagyam Trungpa Rinpoche in 1975 and studied and practiced the Buddhist and Shambhala teachings for 12 years with him and in particular worked with him on translating Tibetan texts into English. For 10 years, he studied and taught at Naropa University in the Buddhist Studies department. For many years, he served as an acharya or senior teacher for Sakyong Mipham Rinpoche and also studied intensively with Kenpo Solstrim Gyanso Rinpoche. He has practiced Taoist Qigong for 12 years with Eva Wong, who has authorized him to teach. Here is John to take away the discussion.
0: So our view of meditation actually affects a lot of how we regard it. If we think that meditation actually improves our awareness, then um, it's another thing to do in some sense. Whereas the traditional view of practice is that um, confusion takes effort. It's not our natural state, so to create confusion actually takes effort. It takes effort to ignore where we are, It takes effort to focus our mind and constrict it, just like it takes effort to kind of roll ourselves up into a ball, to tense ourselves.
3: Whereas uh, awareness is not created by meditation.
0: If it was, then in some sense we could never leave it. And so that's why it's very interesting to stop meditating and see if it really affects our fundamental awareness and of course as john and other people have alluded to our habits start to come back of how we do start to crank up and our confusion or our tightness or our small-mindedness So coming back to the basics of meditation, the first thing is the feeling of the body. And I'm reminded of the uh, book, The Body Keeps the Score, which is all about trauma, basically trusting the wisdom of the body. And so one of the early foundations of our practice is trusting the body, that the body in many ways, is our foundation for our sanity or for our confusion. And so taking posture and uh, having a chance to be able to relax our body is considered essential to being able to be present. The tradition says that if the body is not settled, which means that the channels are sort of aligned, then the energy is blocked. The winds of the body are are blocked or cramped. And if the winds are blocked and cramped, then the mind is also cramped. So it's not easy to have good posture, but it is kind of fundamental to our way of being. And I think one of the most uh, interesting one is feeling the whole body, and in particular, our belly and our heart, any place that's kind of our soft spot. Some people, it's in the throat. It's like, where do we feel fear? Generally, it's kind of the heart is the one major trauma center, (laughs) delight center, and the belly and the throat. This area right here is kind of essential. So the whole posture in some ways is about exposing our our belly and our heart and our throat, and that's fundamental. That's a fundamental vulnerability to to show our feel our soft spot, and so you can we can feel in just the most subtle ways how even in our posture it can slightly sink a little bit and start to close
3: down. And so the Vajjyatta
0: once said that uh, our posture is like we have a kite in the sky and the string is attached to a hook that's right uh, at our rib cage, right at this uh, the bottom of, um, what's this called, the sternum. So it's kind of pulls you up just right at the heart, just a little bit, just that slight opening of the heart.
3: So the title for this one
0: is uh, Taking Our Posture and Tasting Our Heart came from uh, going back to this instruction on that we breathe out as if we're saying the syllable ah. And so I was, you know, in some ways I'd forgotten that ah thing, so I tried saying it. So maybe we could all do it, ah, ah, ah. So it's a totally unconstricted sound. In fact, it's considered to be the basis of all sounds because it's simply breathing out. And then how we shape our mouth, we, use, we make all these other different sounds, but fundamentally we have to breathe out to make sound. And so ah is considered the fundamental um, basis of
3: all sound.
0: So when asked once, why do we follow the out-breath, Trimpermitche once said, well, when we've had a very hard day at work, and we come home, and we go to the refrigerator, we open it and we pull a beer out, and we go back and we sit in our couch and put our feet up and we pop the beer, we don't go We go, ah. And so that's the fundamental gesture of unwinding, letting go. So our technique is touch and go, but the key one is letting go, and that's the going out. So, really, that's the fundamental instruction for everything. So, well, how does that relate to tasting the heart? Well, I realized that when you say the syllable ah,
3: what's the tongue doing? Ah.
0: Ah. I realized, oh, the tongue's just floating in space. It's not anchored anywhere, it's just relaxed. And so I started working with that because. You know they say basically usually to touch the tongue to the roof of the mouth and that sort of anchors it so kind of grounding in a way but then to sit with my tongue just in space there it was kind of very um, it was almost like a little bit of a free fall being suspended in space and then I realized that it also had this feeling of, of connecting me to my heart. And I'm not sure exactly energetically how that, except in some traditions, Chinese tradition, they talk about the tongue. It's naturally connected to the heart energy. So this whole notion of relaxing the jaw, relaxing the tongue, relaxing the throat, Starts to open up the heart as well, and in fact, in some traditions, they say generally the place where we clench is right here. We learn to not say things, to not speak, and we silence ourselves. We don't speak our heart because we're not not brave enough to be vulnerable, and so we kind of clench here, and it tends to cut our heart off from our voice and our mind altogether. And then the last thing that um, in terms of posture that it reminded me is in the Shambhala book, where the Vijayatara says that if you take your hand and you put it through your ribcage to feel your heart. All you feel is tenderness.
3: And I realize tenderness
0: and space. So the notion of taking good posture and feeling the whole body could sound as if we're trying to feel more grounded and solid. But in my experience, trying to feel the whole body actually um, starts to decentralize. And this is that whole notion of the breath going out and our awareness going out and starting to connect to our sense perceptions. So Trumpermajie has another quote that I love, which he says, the whole world is your body. The whole world is your body. Meaning we think our body is right here, it's kind of tangible and we can feel it and it's got a boundary. But if you actually think about our experience, particularly the fact that we have all these sense perceptions and also how our is made, it's full of holes. The whole thing is just totally porous. We got our mouth, we got our nose, we got our eyes, we got our ears, got the lower gates and then we got hundreds and thousands of little pores that are also kind of breathing and exchanging gases and chemicals in different ways. We are totally porous, such that um, our experience of the world is an expression of our body completely. We as human beings see and feel and taste and hear the world in a certain way because we have a human body. And so, To open our senses, this is really at the heart of our meditation practice and it's what Trim once referred to is that our sense perceptions are built-in meditation. Our sense perceptions are built-in meditation. Meaning that you don't have to follow your breath, you don't have to particularly concentrate, you don't have to cut your thoughts to hear my voice, to kind of know what I'm saying, to look at me just happens instantly. And that's instant, spontaneous awareness, which is always available, always happening. And that's what we can cover, try to cover up. But as Rachel said, you know, no matter what we're doing, it's always happening underground. Our body's still hearing, even though we may try not to hear, body still feeling, although we may try to tense up
3: and so on and so forth. So this notion of feeling the whole body is really learning how to feel the heart and the whole space and our whole world, which is
0: already happening. And so therefore the key uh, kind of thing to always notice is when we're maybe starting to do our meditation in a way where we're trying to build something up and wind, create something, just kind of winding up rather than the whole thing is unwinding, letting go,
3: expanding out.
0: So the basic difference between confusion, he once said, is that confusion wants to curl up and stay in a little ball at a familiar world, a little cocoon. So the impetus is to spiral in. Whereas wakefulness is that the spiral is to be curious and expand out. And as soon as you expand out, your confusion becomes smaller and smaller and smaller until, as they say, your thoughts are just like little ripples in the ocean of our vast world, and they're included, but they lose their power because they're not center stage, and we are not in our little small space. So a last little quote, this is from The Lion's Roar. One does not have to remind oneself to be in the state of awareness. One does not have to remind oneself to be in the state of awareness. The sense objects themselves are the reminder. They come to you. They provide you with awareness. Nobody has to take on the duty of bringing the sun up and making it set. The sun just rises and sets. There is no organization in the universe that is responsible for that, that has to make sure that the sun rises and sets on time. It just happens by
3: itself. Discovering this is discovering the body. Discovering this is discovering the body.
0: Okay, that's uh, the so-called talk portion, so now we're back to the open space and all of you virtual people who are really there have a chance to say whatever's on your mind, could be about the talk or it could be about whatever's in your heart or um, that you're bringing with you here.
4: Thank you for that last quote. Uh, I love the you know the no organization responsible for the sun. It's it's so helpful to sort remember, remind that some things are just spontaneously happening, or everything is spontaneously happening.
0: Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> thank you for that
3: spontaneous contribution.
1: Um, I appreciated what you said about posture, because sometimes um, we just think of posture as kind of this uh, outward, you know, have a sense of dignity and regalness and, you know, wake symbol of wakefulness when you sit, and that's fine. But I, I've always thought about that, about how it frees up the winds. Right. It's so important, you know, the nadis and the bindus and the um, the if, if, if you don't, you you really put yourself at a disadvantage if you're not sitting properly and well with your posture. And uh, that ties in with that whole sense of allowing, because once you have the good posture, then you
0: can allow, yeah. allow the sun to rise. Yeah, that's, that's great. It's helpful that thing I found, I keep coming back to this feeling the whole body at once, because otherwise I find there's kind of a, sometimes a, um, what would we call it? Patriarchal society takes over the body, (laughs) that the head's in charge, and so there's all the radars up here. So it's sort of like the attention's up here and the feet are far away and low. Whereas if you actually feel your feet, actually they they actually have a lot of power to them to bring feeling to the legs which then brings feeling to the belly and it's sort of like ground up rather than top down and i found that's helped my posture enormously because i came you know every first time i sat damned if uh, my legs just didn't fall asleep all the time because there was some tension in my lower you know around my hips. And everything whereby the lower body was just kind of cut off. That was one of my tension spots. And to free that up has been a lifesaver. I like that.
1: I was just um, reflecting on my tongue being connected to my heart, which is something that I've reflected on previously, and I really appreciate that, but I all of a sudden had this sense from your emphasis on being in touch with the entire body that I tuned into any part of my body where tuning into my whole body or any part of my body could make me feel connected to my heart instantly. So I just really had this wonderful sense of the simplicity of making that connection into my
0: heart. So I really just appreciate that. Yeah, well said. In the um, Training the Mind book, the Vijayadurai talks about that you start with a soft spot and it's maybe a little like a little slit in your skin, like a little wound, you know, it's very tender, particularly people are maybe to it around the heart, but not necessarily everyone. And then that, he says, that's the saving grace, because that's where the world can get in and kind of tickle us. But also, it's very tender, and we don't like it being touched. But at some point, particularly in doing practices like Tom Lam, or just opening up, then this soft spot could grow until at some point your whole body becomes the soft spot. He says at that point you start to get bodhisattva
3: fever. So yeah, I think you're right. Um,
0: All of us have to find where that little entrance is to our soft spot, which could be any part of the body really. For some people it's really listening
1: Could you just say a little bit about in the title, Tasting Your Heart? I know we've just talked about these connections, but could you say something about the particular sense of taste? in relationship to the heart. Is there anything particular about that, that that may be special?
0: Well, I don't know. What does the heart taste like, do you think, do you feel? Salty. Salty. (laughs) And sweet. Yeah. Anybody else? Is their heart heart taste a little different? We are salty and sweet, those are the two major Food groups.
3: I think it's just being open,
4: you know, open to your experience. I think it it makes it almost more intimate, like you could just say feeling, but that's almost sort of ordinary. And so the notion of tasting, I think it just sort of heightens the, you know, it kind of brings it even more inside and more, um, yeah, somehow much more intimate.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. So it came from a quote by the Vijayata where he was talking about the tongue is so intimate that we don't have to watch the tongue. The tongue doesn't watch itself taste. There's a lot of times we think we can watch ourselves see or something, but he says, you know, the tongue doesn't think that. It doesn't have any illusions about that. It just tastes, it just does its thing and tastes. But um, yeah, I liked what uh, Rachel said too about uh, uh, openness. I think when I was um, thinking about the title of the talk, I was thinking about this feeling of this, tongue suspended in space, and that what is the tongue is, tastes the hearts, it's tasting that tenderness, but space, tasting space was kind of the image that came to mind, but I think like what everyone said, I also thought when somebody said sometimes it's bitter or sour, it's, it's also got that full spectrum, bitter, sweet,
3: sweet and sour.
4: Since you mentioned the tongue and space aspect, I when you first brought that up in your talk, I was sort of first, of course, noticed, oh, in space, what about the, you know, putting it on the pallet and all that traditional instruction? So I'm curious what you would say that the, in terms of, we have kind of a classical instruction and this notion of let, having it just be in space, do you think that's something that people should just work with as exploration? Or how how would you want to sort of intermix that into our classic instructions?
0: Uh, Well, I leave it up to people to explore. I think at this point, you know, coming back to the basics and seeing all the instructions and the variety of instructions he gave, there's not one classic instruction, actually. Even when they talked about the seven points of meditation, Vajra Posture, everybody's a little slightly differently. And that whole thing about the outstretched wings of the vulture, the garuda, or whatever the bird is, I've heard different explanations of what that means. And, um, and there actually is an instruction where you do leave the tongue to not touch things. And, but, it, but the reason I presented it was not because, you know it is taught someplace, but that notion of coming back to that fundamental instruction of, breathe out as if you are saying this syllable ah. And then I realized when you're saying ah, naturally, I don't have my tongue in the palate. And that's what started me down that path. But really, I'm just sharing things and perhaps getting you in trouble too, not doing things the official way. But at this point, I'm not sure what that is anymore. So I'm just sharing, just playing in some ways. And I found it helpful for relaxing the connection and the chokehold in my throat and all the rest.
4: Yeah, no, it's very helpful, thank you. I I didn't mean to try to lock it in or anything, but just- No,
0: you didn't. I I
4: appreciate that because I I also like that instruction about the uh, ah very much. Um, And actually one of the, I think one of the, I I also have heard a lot of different things about that vulture instruction. One that I think I read or heard that may have come from perhaps Minja Rinpoche, I'm not sure, but was seemed to be really about opening to leave space for the breath in the chest. That's right.
0: Yeah, that's it. So, you know, if you're if you actually watch a vulture fly, they you know, they outstretched wings, you just feel this openness. And that seems to be the basic point. Then you can just relax the arms, but you and hands is as feels natural for you, but the point is to keep the the,
3: the chests open. Thank you. Last call.
2: I really liked what you said about the body being having holes and being porous. So it kind of gave me I never really thought about that before. So it kind of gave me a sense of openness and just being open and um having this connection with the world that's very free flowing. So thank you for that. You're
0: welcome. Yeah, if you look at the early instructions of how Trimpermaché talks about the breath coming out, he says it's not a whole process that's happening here like this, but it comes out more very softly and gently, and the feeling is all around. And, um, and then there's one outrageous thing that he says at some point. It's in the book, The what's it called, the skull cup and the...
4: Teacup. Teacup,
0: yeah. Yeah, and Zen. And there he says, uh, well, the whole breathing process just takes place in space. We think it happens in our body, but actually it just happens in space. And that sort of stopped me, my mind. He never said something quite like that, but the whole thing about the breathing is not centralized, decent or centralized so much really speaks to me a lot about. Uh, the first time I saw Trungpa Rinpoche walk in the dining hall, which at that point was the shine room for the seminar, Karmicholing, that I was at, when he first came in, just the way he walked stopped my mind. And, and I couldn't figure out what was different. He looked, he was shorter than I thought, he was chubbier, fatter than I thought, and he walked with a limp, which I kind of knew, but I hadn't seen, but there was something different and when he sat down and, you know, for the longest time, and it was only recently that I finally came up with a word for what that experience was, which was I had never seen anybody completely decentralized. He was not centered in his body, whereas most of us are centered in our body, like we're, like we dwell here, but somehow he was not centralized and I just, It was such an elusive feeling that's haunted me for some time. At some point, I I saw him use that word, decentralized, and that whole thing of what our practice is doing was, it's sort of like you go out with the out-breath, but you don't come back. And of course, that's what we do when we die, so I wouldn't be too literal. Um, But that fundamentally is, in some sense, our practice, is that realize we're open 24-7. We don't have to go out, we're just out all the time, even if we have our eyes closed. So on that uh, little note, why don't we close at this point? And we didn't open with any chance, I thought I would keep it simple, but why don't we do the two dedications of merit and then close with a bow. And um, then I generally invite people to unmute and say hello and goodbye in one flourish. By this merit, may all obtain omniscience, may it defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death. From the ocean of samsara, may I free all beings. By the confidence of the golden sun of the great East, may yeah. the lotus garden of the Rigdon's wisdom bloom. May the dark ignorance of sentient beings be dispelled May all beings enjoy profound, brilliant glory. Okay. Unleash him.